Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Welcome back. Kevin's Corner, April 5th is our record date for this. Uh, Typically, this is kind of a quiet week in the NFL, squished in between owners' meetings ending last week, the start of the offseason program for a lot of teams here upcoming, obviously the draft, but really, by all accounts, a monumental week for the Colts. Wrote something on 107.5thefan.com about the Colts having these individual workouts with the top four QBs, and I've said it all along, and I think it's needs to be stressed. Shane Steichen has worked with different shapes, sizes, styles of quarterbacks, but the non-starter for him will just be how are you wired, the it factor, all of those things, and I think this is the time where you find all of that out, and by the end of the week, I think you get into kind of a one, two, three, four pecking order. You obviously have your internal debates on trading up, trading down, all of those things, um, so those will be things um, to keep an eye on. Eddie Garrison, good Wednesday morning to you. Good Wednesday morning to you as well. How are, how are you and the kids and the wife doing? We're good. We're good. We're, uh, well, I should say I am very excited about the Masters. It is my favorite sporting week of the year, so I am beyond thrilled. We will close out the show with a Masters selection from each of us. We'll also have Matt Miller, uh, draft analyst, join the pod here. We'll throw in that interview right before Twitter questions. Uh, we had Matt on our morning show uh, earlier this week. Definitely has a clear Tier 1 and Tier 2. He's got Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud on a Tier 1, and he's got a big drop to Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. And Hendon Hooker, I would say, is knocking on that Tier 2 door. So we'll get some draft talk with him. The, the meat of today's podcast is going to focus on, you know, when you look at the Colts roster from last season, Eddie, and again, insert your jokes about the quality of that roster, Right now, you have to replace four of your top eight guys on defense from last season. I don't, I don't, that didn't resonate with me until Mm-mm. I started looking closer at it. So I, I want to go over just who you are replacing and what that will look like, how that will develop. So that'll be the meat of today's podcast. Next week, again, we'll get more draft centric. Um, the start of the offseason program is on Monday, so we'll hear from Shane Steichen. Um, so that'll be a little bit of the layout here leading into three weeks from tomorrow, the NFL Draft. Of course, your favorite event is this weekend. We'll get to our picks at the very end. We will. We will. Probably three clear favorites. And obviously, weather does not look ideal, but um, hopefully things cooperate as best as possible with Augusta. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Should we get into the uh, who the Colts have lost and how they will... Try and replace them? Yeah, which player do you want to start with first? you want to start with Stephon Gilmore or in the let's secondary just, or just at a big picture here? Yeah, let's start with the offense. Um, 
obviously, Matt Ryan, you are losing. Um, you know, again, insert your joke here on how much of a loss that is. I would throw TBD on the to be determined on how and who you'll replace him with. It's to be determined. I, I can't stress this enough. The Colts don't know who's going to be their week one starter. Like, you have no idea. Obviously, a storyline in the offseason program, Eddie, is going to be how that rookie QB looks and how quickly you want to insert him into first-team offense looks. Do you want to do it at all during the spring? Do you wait till camp? Is there going to be a competition with that guy in Gardner Minshew? Um, all of that will play out. Um, I would say the two other notable names from offense that you're losing, one would be Paris Campbell. And obviously, Eddie, he has had injury history throughout his career. But if you just go off of playing time last year, Paris Campbell is a big loss from a quantity of snap standpoint. Last year, Campbell played, um, I think it was 85% of the offensive snaps. It's a good number. He had 60 catches. There is nothing on Isaiah McKenzie's resume that indicates you just immediately plug him into that. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Um, If you look at McKenzie's six seasons in the NFL, Eddie, and again, I like the idea of Isaiah McKenzie. I think he's... Much more of a gadgety, you know, specific role type of guy than anything. But McKenzie's resume, the career highs in those categories, 42 catches and only 54% of the offensive snaps. Again, Campbell played 85% last year. So does that mean Ashton Doolin gets factored in? Is it inevitable they draft a receiver and that guy factors in? You know, is there still another veteran wideout? There's not a lot of obvious names out there. But I don't think I look at McKenzie and think immediately like he it's just a seamless transition. He starts every game like Campbell did last year for you. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. A lot of the questions I have in terms of the snap participation on Isaiah McKenzie's front is when you look at Buffalo, now is that for his career or is that just last season? Yeah, individual seasons, the career high, which I do think it was last season, is fifty four percent. And then you look at what they did, they it's not in, like this guy's battled injuries, by the way. Yeah. Like, he, he doesn't fall into the Campbell boat of like your your snap percentages are down because of your injuries. Yeah, they've brought in numerous different receivers to kind of fill his position, which kind of concerns me slightly. It's like they didn't view him enough to be the main slot receiver. Instead, they bring in a Khalil Shakir, uh, Cole Beasley. I think Jamison Crowder had a time there. Yeah, they, they've really had a lot of trial and error uh-huh. behind Stephon Diggs and, and Gabe Davis. The last name on offense, and you know you can hear people laughing around town, is Matt Pryor. And obviously, Eddie, the replacement for him at left tackle, because you know it's shocking to think Pryor started nine games last year. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, I mean, that's, that's over half. Bernard Ryman, of course, will be that. But I do think a big question you have is, what is your depth on the O-line? I have no idea what that's going to look like. Um, so I still think that is a big question, particularly outside. You know, when you talk about that swing tackle guard, I do think that is a major question um, for you. Is Danny Pinter the only backup lineman that they have currently on the roster? Well, I mean, they've got other guys on the roster. You know, if you want to get really technical, Dennis Kelly's a free agent. You know, he would have been one of your backups last year, you know, assuming that oh, yeah. Fries is your starter at guard. Um, I think Pryor and Kelly, if I'm not mistaken, were the only offensive line free agents this season. So you obviously have other bodies, but I still think along with corner, along, along with receiver, those are very important guys 
to have. Um, all right, let's shift over to defense. I'd say the most obvious, or I should say maybe the most seamless from one player to the next is probably in replacing Yannick Ngakwe. Samson Ebukam, I assume, will take on the full Yannick Ngakwe role from last year. Ngakwe did miss the final two games of the season, but he played 64% of your defensive snaps. That's a pretty healthy number for a D-end. You know, Quiddy Pay, again, injuries played into this, but you can't ignore that. He was at 47%. Dayo Adengbo is at 45%. So I look at Ebukam there. I think in an ideal world, Eddie, as you shift back to Bobby Okereke, you would assume that would be Shaquille Leonard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know Zaire Franklin played pretty much every snap for you last season, which at times we probably just don't give Franklin enough credit for what he did for you last season, availability and production-wise. Okereke was a little bit less because, you know, when Leonard did play, Okereke was the one that came off the field. But obviously you hope that Leonard can take on all of it, and if not, that's where EJ Speed would factor in there. The biggest question mark right now on defense comes with your secondary and replacing the playing time that you lost there. Let's start at corner. Stephon Gilmore, Eddie, played 1,063 defensive snaps for you last season, a number that I would have scoffed at this time last year. would have thought no chance he could play that much. Mm -hmm. He did. Unbelievable year from him. That is second on the entire defense, second to Franklin on the entire defense. Brandon Faison, again, I know a lot of people are like, I'm glad he's gone. He played the third most corner snaps of you. He was above Isaiah Rogers last year, which I know a lot of people, including me, had issues with. But what I'm getting at is in Gilmore and Faison, you're losing 1,500 snaps. That is a ton. So right now, you've made how many additions at corner? I thought they made one. I mean, a re-sign of Tony Brown, I don't think anybody outside the building, certainly nobody of note Yeah, outside the building. So basically, if and when you draft a corner coming up in late April, that dude's going to come in and have a great chance to play and potentially play a ton. Because right now, if you went to play a football game tomorrow, your nickel personnel group would be Rodgers, Kenny Moore, and Dallas Flowers. So in losing Gilmore and losing Faison, that is a lot of playing time. Obviously, you're projecting Rodgers, you're projecting face uh, Flowers into a little bit bigger roles, but I still think that is a huge, huge immediate need. Um, I called it a long-term need when the offseason began because, again, Gilmore's age, but that is a huge need for you uh, when you talk about uh, moving forward. The last one on defense that I think is of note, Eddie, and this is probably still TBD to be determined, what about Rodney McLeod? When you look at safety, and again, Rodney is still a free agent as mm-hmm. of us recording this right now. He is easily, I think, the most notable in-house free agent remaining. Uh, ben Banigou, Matt Hawk, Dennis Kelly don't really qualify for that in my eyes. Rodney McLeod, 1,031 defensive snaps last year. Third on the team. Again, Nick Cross started the opener. Then week two, benched halfway through, boom. He didn't see the field the rest of the season. He went to the shadow realm. He's like never to be seen again. Literally. Uh, Rodney McLeod took over. So you look in-house, you've got three young safeties. Obviously Rodney Thomas is second. Julian Blackman, those two could be your starters. Nick Cross could be your third safety. Does Nick Cross factor into playing time? Like You have some young options. Mm -hmm. Rodney McLeod, again, I thought had a really nice season for you. 
Um, so secondary wise, you are replacing a lot, and I think it's worth bringing up, Eddie. Your defense was what? You know, slightly above average last season. Is that a fair assessment for it? Oh yeah. You're losing four of your top eight guys from last year. We'll see if McLeod does return. Um, some would argue that you know Ebukam gives you more three down ability than Ngakwe gave you. Okay, that's fine. But you're, I mean, Gilmore is easily the biggest loss of that. Uh, but you're replacing probably the most personnel you've replaced on defense in quite some time. Now, some of these guys are in-house and Leonard and potentially what you would do at safety. But I just think it's something worth noting. Um, you're losing in total probably about seven starters from last season. Yes, it's seven starters off a of 4-12 and one football team. But when we're talking four of eight on defense... That was the one unit you felt good about last year. You know, you've only lost, and really, Pryor's not really a loss because you benched him halfway through the season. Ryan and Campbell are your only offensive starters that will theoretically change from last season. And, you know, Ryan certainly wasn't very good, but Campbell was quality for you. So it's, it's a very interesting dynamic how we're about a month into free agency and the Colts are losing more on the quality unit than they are on the bad unit mm-hmm. from a four twelve and one football team. Mm-hmm. We'll see how the draft shakes out, obviously, but I thought that was something to note. Part of me wonders if they're trying to go like the Pacers route here and embrace maybe like a down year. Because, I mean, you're probably going to have... So foreign for them. Well, I'm not going to say a tanking year, just like a down year. Like, you know they're not going to be great. You don't expect them to win the division. So, why not see what you've got in some of these young players who didn't get to play much last season, like Dallas Flowers, for example. Which is certainly a very interesting and a very understandable thought from you. Um, It's just a little bit odd that, like, we haven't seen more on offense. That's mainly the one for me. Oh, yeah. Now, again, maybe you're just going to throw these rookies into the fire and they're going to play, but you you transfer to the draft. I mean, you have your first and your second, and Washington's third. You don't have your third. You have your fourth. It's not like, Eddie, they've got seven picks in the first three rounds, like some teams do. So, um, yeah, we'll see how all that plays out. Again, Colts offseason program will begin on Monday. That'll be Shane Sykin's first time to chat with uh, the team in kind of a full team setting. Obviously, he's met with some guys individually, um, but we will get the nine-week off-season program underway coming up on Monday. Uh, before we get into Twitter questions, I know you're a little bit on a time crunch. You want to get into Matt Miller now? Matt Miller time. He joined us on Kevin Inquiry, the morning show, earlier this week on Monday, ESPN Draft Analyst. Here is a replay of that interview. All right, three weeks from Thursday. Uh, we'll find out the answer to what the Indianapolis Colts are going to do at number four overall to chat more about that in the NFL draft in general. One of our favorites from ESPN, he is Matt Miller, NFL draft analyst. Matt, before we get into the Colts-specific discussion, uh, let's fast forward to the year 2034. Um, who will be the best player in this draft in the year 2034? We do this We do this all the time with, with guys like Will Anderson. We get through the process and you kind of forget about him. I remember this happening to Nick Bosa. When Nick was coming out of Ohio State, everybody, ah, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? And what about Cleveland Farrell? Like, no, no, no. Like, he's, Will Anderson's been the best player in college football the last two years. I, I think that's been forgotten. Over 50 tackles for a loss, 
over 30 sacks. He is he's the best player in this class who is not a quarterback, so he hasn't been talked about a ton because it's a quarterback-driven offseason. But if I have to take one, I'll take Will Anderson. Okay, so that leads to my question. Is he a good enough player that a team in need of a quarterback shelves the quarterback need to take him if he's available? It's possible. Um, it, it's, I, so I'll say it this way. Carolina, no. They traded up. They gave up all that to get a quarterback. They're going to take a quarterback. I think Houston at two is more more interesting than people have realized. I wrote back at the combine that I had people in Houston telling me, hey, like a quarterback's not not a given at two. Now that could be a smoke screen, absolutely, right? Which is why you kind of have to put it out there. Well, like, we'll see. You know, we'll see if we believe that or not. Um, I, I do think it's possible. Now, for Indianapolis specifically, no way in hell. Like, there's no way that you can take Will Anderson over a quarterback, even though I think Will's great. I just I feel like, you know, whether it's ownership, the fan base, you guys in the media, people like me in the media, uh, Chris Ballard would probably not be able to, to, you know, keep his job if they if they don't answer the quarterback question again. Like, if you're going to say, hey, like, we're cool with Gardner Minshew, we're going to take Will Anderson at four, I, I feel like that, you know, there'd be a riot uh, down, down the streets of Indianapolis. Matt, in your opinion, and hopefully this makes sense the way I ask this, is this a draft that has four quarterbacks whose talent are all so strong that it merits being four of probably the top five picks? Or is it simply a draft where four of the top five teams selecting need a quarterback, thus we have selected four that would be the guys taken that high? This is a draft where so many teams need a quarterback, guys are going to get drafted higher. And I think that's the fun thing about a mock draft is based on like what, what I hear from teams, you know, what, if I talk to fellow media members who I trust and they say like, Hey, we're kind of hearing it this way. Okay. That a mock draft is a predictive uh, board. My rankings don't look anything like a mock draft. You know, I, I don't have, I like Anthony Richardson. He's my number 17 overall player. I have Will Levis in the, the mid to late twenties right now. They're going to be drafted much higher than that. So I think it's definitely a year where we're seeing some, you know, manufactured grades. I, I think that happened in 2021 as well when we saw five quarterbacks go in the top 15. I didn't personally think Zach Wilson had any business going number two. I didn't think Trey Lance was worthy of the number three overall pick. He wasn't the third most talented player in that in that draft. Um, so I, I think this year is a little bit similar in that I think Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are, are really, really good quarterbacks. And in most drafts, they're going to be QB1 or QB2. Anthony Richardson, I totally, totally get the appeal. Uh, Will Levis, I, I don't get it as much, but I, I think we're if we see those four dudes go in the top five, it's not because they're good; it's because they're those teams need quarterbacks. Okay, Matt, I want to focus there for just a second. Matt Miller, ESPN draft analyst at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You said Richardson, and I forget the exact number 17 and levis middle 20s for you in terms of your draft board why is you know cj stroud bryce young clearly on a tier that's infinitely higher than the other two it's honestly as simple as accuracy like i when bryce young and cj stroud throw the football i i know where it's going and they know where it's going as, as well you know i think with richardson it's been broken down. I'm sure you guys have had people on have explained it. Um, it's, it's mechanical. It's not that he's not seeing it. It's not that he's a slow processor of what's happening in front of him. It's mechanical. That you you can, in theory, fix. 
So I feel a little bit better about that. With Levis, I mean, he's a little bit of an older guy. You know, couldn't get the starting job at Penn State, so you transferred to Kentucky. And when he had, you know, a weapon or two and a good offense coordinator, he looked okay, but he still turned the ball over 13 times, 13 interceptions in 2021. This past year, he threw his 10 interceptions. That's what I worry about. So I think with, with Young and Stroud, I'm really confident putting them in my top five. I'm confident putting a starter grade on them because the accuracy is there. I mean, to go along with things like poise, command in the pocket, uh, they've both shown an ability to get out of the pocket and make plays happen. Well, even if it's not running for first downs, it's extending plays, it's creating on the move. They have the athleticism to do that while also being very, very good pocket passers. They can throw to every level. I mean, they can, they can truly scatter the field with the ball and, and do that at a very accurate clip. Okay, how close would Hendon Hooker be to Levis and Richardson? He's pretty close for me. If it wasn't the ACL, that's the ACL and the scheme scare me more than the age. I mean, he's he's 24 years old. I think he turns 25 in December. The ACL scares me more than anything else because it was November 19th. So you're if, if he's already 24 and he's going to miss a year, then you start to be like, okay, this guy's a little bit advanced age. And I, I know quarterbacks are playing longer than ever. I think what scares me most about the age is – you're a little bit more physically, you know, developed at 24 than you are at 19 or 20. I think that's that's kind of a given. And you worry a little bit about, okay, is this guy who has, like, you know, grown man strength, is he beaten up on 19, 20-year-olds? Playing in the SEC, it, it does answer some of those questions. You feel a little bit better about it. Um, I, I have Hooker graded pretty highly. I had a first-round grade on him before he got hurt. He's number 27 on my board right now. I think he, he has the tools to be a starter in the NFL. The scheme there at Tennessee, I mean, I know you guys have seen it. It's a lot of tempo. It's a lot of vertical stuff. Um, they're really using, you know, the wider field with the hashes and college to their advantage. I think that's going to take a transition to the NFL, but every one of these guys has something that they're going to have to work on. There's no perfect prospect. Everybody has points of improvement. And I think for Hooker, his points of improvement are – Man, this dude did not turn the ball over in college in a scheme that took advantage of the situation. No, let's just, you know, let's build a scheme that works for what he can do. You know, he throws a beautiful deep ball. He's athletic. He's big. He's tough. I think you can you can find a way to make that work in your scheme. Matt Miller is our guest. On Twitter, he is at NFL Draft Scout. He is on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Matt, a year ago, or roughly thereabout, when the Colts acquired Matt Ryan – and I don't think you were wrong here, so this is not me picking on you at all. You said the best quarterback Chris Ballard has had, no more excuses in Indianapolis, time to win. I think that was uh, both a rational and common thought, and obviously we know what happened there. Do you believe that the seat is warmer for Chris Ballard and has the national narrative on him changed? I'm not saying completely gone south, but has it changed a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean – you know, when Chris was hired out of Kansas City, I, I think it's we got to go back in time and remember, right, that he was the most sought after next guy up at general manager. And he had had the opportunity to pick his spot, you know, to turn down interviews, which normally if you're a GM candidate and you start turning down interviews, those those interviews go away. But with Ballard, that didn't happen, you know, and, and he was able to say, I want to go somewhere in the Midwest and raise my kids in that area. Cool. He goes to the Colts, and it's like, this is a perfect marriage. you got Andrew Luck. He's going to be able to build a team there. So I, I think, you know, we can all say, hey, Chris was dealt a bad hand. His head coach backed out on him, and his quarterback retired. 
but it's also been long enough that you got to fix some of the issues right. that you inherited or fix some of the issues that you created. So I'm still a, a fan of Chris Ballard as an evaluator. I think he's a fantastic scout. Um, has he done enough in Indianapolis for me to say, okay, we were all validated in our thoughts, Jim, or I was validated in my thoughts? Absolutely not. And I, I think the seat is deservedly warm, hot, heating up, however you want to say that. I mean, you've got a gigantic need at quarterback that has existed from the moment you got there. And you've tried all these different avenues to fill that need, which is why which is why I say that. I think this year like you have to answer the quarterback question long term. No more band-aids. You know, I was not a Carson Wentz guy, which is why I tweeted the Matt Ryan thing. Um, I, I thought Philip Rivers' arm was shot when he was in with the Chargers, which is why, again, I thought Matt Ryan, hey, this is a guy that's been doing it at a, at a good level, at least, and we, we saw that not work as well. So it's not just the quarterback position. You know, I think we can look at this roster top to bottom right now. It's not very good. So I, I do think there's a lot of pressure on Ballard to get this right and get it right in a hurry. So to get a sneak peek at your mock draft, you were saying that you you know it's based on chatter, you know yeah. tea leaves, everything else. Uh, Colts select who? Which quarterback? Right now, I would say Will Levis. Yep, that's um, exactly I, I, what I, I think. Yeah, I I've been putting that out there for a while. Um, <laughs> I don't love it, but I I would like to think that they have a plan to make that work. Uh, I'm I'm anxious to see what Shane Steichen does as a head coach anxious to see what that scheme looks like, um, how it changes from what they did for Jalen Hurts. You obviously can't do the same things for Will Levis, but Will is very athletic. He's got a, he's got a very strong arm. Um, and I, I think he's going to come into the NFL guys with a chip on his shoulder. Um, I've heard that, that, that his interviews with teams, you know, he's a little pissed off that everybody's talking about Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson and not him. So I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, which could be a good thing. Matt, we'll end with this and appreciate the time. Again, Matt Miller from ESPN is with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. From a local angle, we'll throw a couple names at you. Michael Mayer going round one. Is he the top tight end or no? He is for me, and I think you should go round one. Absolutely. Okay, and then uh, how about the Purdue guys? Where do you think, and this is obviously more middle to late rounds, um, Aiden O'Connell and then Payne Durham and what appears to be a pretty deep tight end draft? Yeah, I would say both those guys, day three. Aiden O'Connell had a little bit of buzz for a minute, you know, that he could maybe go higher. I'll tell you, when you said Purdue, I thought you were going to ask me about Charlie Jones and Corey Trice. Oh, okay. I like them I like them better. Like, I think I think there's a good chance that, that Corey Trice and I would say Trice than Jones probably go higher than O'Connell and Durham. Like four-ish, five-ish, right around there? I wouldn't be surprised if, they, if Trice went third and Jones went, like, late third, early fourth. Boy, Jones had a hell of a season. He did. This year. It was I love, fun to watch. I love Charlie Jones. Like, yeah. I want him on my team. You know, yeah. if, I, if I take Chris Ballard's job in the next 24 days, we're drafting Charlie <laughs> there, Jones. There are a lot and, of people yeah, around here that will come pick you up. Yeah. He sold his house about a month or two ago. I think a lot of people would have said, hey, Matt Miller can move That's into right. Westfield. Hey, uh, give, give Jimmy my number. Uh, we'd have a good time. <laughs> well, uh, he's hired uh, people from ESPN before. Right. On I mean, that yeah, front. I've, got the, I've got the pedigree. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, great stuff. Always enjoy our conversations. I know it's a busy month of April for you, so thanks for making time for us. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
And that was Matt Miller again from ESPN. Joined us earlier this week on Kevin and Corey. We're going to have some different draft people on throughout the month of April. I see no reason why we wouldn't just throw those into the podcast if you miss it. Uh, And if you'd like to listen to them live, 7 to 10 a.m., Monday through Friday here, locally, 107.5 The Fan. You can stream via our app or our website. Or you can watch on YouTube if you want to see Kevin shirtless. Yes, I have been known to take off my shirt. If Tiger Woods wins the Masters, I'll wear a Tiger Speedo. Coming up on Sunday, you'd wear the speedo on Sunday. Uh, I well, if he wins on Sunday, well, <laughs> I, judging by his forecast, we might get a Monday finish. Uh, Monday will be the uh, dawning of the speedo, which will probably break the internet. Oh boy, oh boy, yeah. I don't know. I I guess I should probably look into potentially. Well, should I? Or is Tiger not going to do anything? And there's no need to look into where to purchase one. I mean, you would probably have an idea come like Saturday, wouldn't you? <laughs> you, you some overnighting of a Tiger Speedo. Um, I'm sure Amazon's got it, and they can overnight it. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Uh, you ready for Twitter questions? Yes. All right. All right. Help Don't me. At me. <laughs> uh, help me with this first name. Is it Vinake? I can't. Let's go with V. V? Yeah. All right. Hey, Kev, I know a lot of Colts fans are excited about the prospects of drafting a rookie quarterback, but uh, but what does that mean for our current players entering their prime, i.e. Quentin Nelson, DeForest Buckner, Jonathan Taylor, and Michael Pittman Jr.? What made the 2000s Colts era so great was our best players, Peyton Manning, Edgerin James, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, and Dwight Freeney ascending together, and I'm not sure that can happen with the drafting of a rookie quarterback when the surrounding pieces are significantly older. V, I think it's a really fair question, and my answer is going to sound like a bit terse maybe, Eddie, but I, I don't really know another way to say it. Tough luck. It's just kind of the reality of how an NFL life cycle works, you know, not for long. We've heard that quite often with that acronym. Um, you're going to have to retool a bit, and you're going to have to have draft history that, if you want to achieve great success, you're going to have to have draft history that, you know, Bill Pullian had post Peyton Manning. I mean, so often we just we don't give enough credit to the drafts of '99 to like '04 from Polian and supporting Manning, making sure that you had guys on rookie contracts that were succeeding for you. And that was a huge reason why you were playing at such a high level there, you know, really starting from 2001 and on. Um, you know, I, I thought Jim Mercer made a great point at the owners' meeting last week, Eddie, of it's just – I don't think anybody says the Colts are a quarterback away. No, I mean, I asked you the question last week, Eddie, and you had an initial pause. I of, did. Does Lamar Jackson make you a playoff team? You know, I didn't even say Super Bowl team. Does Lamar Jackson make you a playoff team? And you had that initial pause. Why? Because we don't know. We don't. We aren't one hundred percent sure that this roster is playoff ready mm-hmm. outside of quarterback. So, building with Lamar. Is, is very difficult to do, given the amount of money you'd be giving him, giving up two first-round picks, all of those things. So even if you hit on quarterback here at four or wherever you end up drafting, you're still going to have to support that with drafts that are strong. And a reason for that is, we talked about it last month, that 2019 draft, that is a bunch of losses mm-hmm. in that 2019 draft. 2018 had the wins. 2020 you feel like is going to have some wins, but 2019 is not that. So 
you're going to have to continue to support and bolster, and that's why Bernard Ryman has got to work out. Like, point blank period. Like, at some point, you're not in a position to address every need with a premium resource. That's wishful thinking. So at some point, a third-round pick's got to work at left tackle. And that's what you're hoping for with Ryman. There's just so many question marks about this Colts team entering the year because when you look back last year, there were high regards, high standards, and expect expectations to win the division and go into the playoffs and get a home playoff game. And then you look back at the season and you look at where they're at now and it's like the expectations have changed so much, but the roster hasn't really changed. So to me, I, the biggest question I have was last year's I, uh, disastrous of a season on the players or on the coaches because you can make the argument it was on the coaches, but you could also make the argument it was on the players. Yeah, again, I've been a believer, Eddie. It's more personnel-driven than the Colts want to admit. And by saying that, I think how you have gone about building that roster, not just strictly the actual players you've drafted, mm-hmm. of course, or signed or traded for, etc. But again, V, it, it, it sounds harsh, but it's just a little bit of tough luck. Of you've you've tried to kind of plug in the QB with these guys in their prime. It's difficult to do. It has not worked out. I mean, the good news is, I mean, he lays out Nelson Buckner, Taylor Pittman. I don't see any of those guys falling off a cliff in the next three to four years. The only now, one that could concern me would be Shaq because of the back. Yeah, and I, he didn't. I guess technically he didn't mention Shaq, but you know Taylor. The only thing that would worry you there is just the position he plays. But I look at that Eddie and think, look at look at Super Bowls, guys. In the last half dozen years, you have had rookie contract quarterbacks in Super Bowls. It is doable. It's not easy, but it's doable. So, I. I yeah, a little bit of tough luck, but also like I don't think you totally slammed the door shut on, you know, three or four years down the road. If you really hit on a guy, who knows? You, know, you also don't know. It could have been the players within that specific personnel grouping that didn't work out either. Maybe a new a grouping with Shane Steichen will paint out better for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Jake's Twitter question is up next, and he says, "How much more stock do you put into the Richardson rumors?" Now that we know Morocco Brown was the scout at Florida and not just the area scout. Yeah, obviously it's really interesting to read into who the Colts have sent to respective pro days. You know, Ohio State, a pro day that to me is much more than just C.J. Stroud. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah, Paris and, Johnson and some other guys. Yeah, I mean, just and what, Jigba. a dozen guys that will get drafted probably. And you only said your Midwest area scout. And obviously in Morocco Brown, for those unfamiliar, Morocco Brown is, is third in line. You know, he'd be right after Chris Bowden and Ed Dodds. Very well thought of. Used to be the team's college scout. He's got some fancy title now. He's interviewed for GM openings. A guy they hold in high regard. Um, yeah, I had somebody re- reach out and say, like, the Colts quietly or tried to quietly, um, you know, be in Gainesville or wherever Richardson's training and did a whole lot of homework on Richardson in person before the combine. Like, that, you know, this is, they've done a lot of work on Anthony Richardson. Um, certainly he's a fascinating prospect. Fascinating. Um, you know, when I saw Morocco Brown there, Eddie, your, my first impression was like, oh, wow, that's something to note. And then my second impression was, are you smoke screening? Am I reading way too much into that? Or do we read way too much into lying season, or do we not read enough into it? Mm-hmm. You've, you've got Chris Mortensen saying today, like, an NFL – Employee has told him that Will Levis was a narcissist for the pictures that he put out on social media. There's been a lot of 
Will Levis slander like that lately. There has been. And I bring that up Mortensen related because we know yep. Jim Irsay and him are very close. You know, Obviously, Will, Chris Mortensen has other connections around the league, oh, not yeah. just Jim Irsay. But, you know, like this might sound crazy, Eddie, but like if you're Chris Ballard, would you lie to your owner right now? Out of fear that he's going to say something? I wouldn't. Oof, I don't I, and know. I know lying to your owner is probably not a smart idea, but that's like lying to your wife or lying to your girlfriend. It's like, <laughs> sure. but do you understand she's where I'm find wh- out? Right. Do you understand where I'm coming from with that? Though? Yeah, yeah. Like it is just such a delicate season, and like again, why? You know, it's kind of like a waste of time if you're gonna, you know, try and smoke screen again by sending a guy to a pro day and all of that. So basically, Jake, I'm I'm, I'm a bit confused by it again. I know that they have done a lot of homework on Richardson. I do think, you know, we had a caller this morning make a ask the question to be fair of like, do you see Anthony Richardson being a combination of Andrew Luck and RG3? You also hear a lot of people, Eddie, say like, oh, just draft Richardson at four. He's he's Lamar Jackson. I say he's Cam Newton okay, and so Lamar Cam, Jackson. Cam, I think he's like a mixture of both. Okay, so Cam is the other name that obviously gets mentioned the most, and, and from a physique standpoint, it's more Cam than Lamar. Do we just forget what Cam Newton, Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin the Third, and Andrew Luck did in college football? You know, no. it, like Anthony Richardson was six and six last year and completed fifty four percent of his passes. Lamar Jackson has hardware called the Heisman. <laughs> yeah. Robert Griffin III is hardware called the Heisman. Cam Newton as a first year starter won a national championship. He won the Heisman too, didn't he? And a Heisman? I thought he did. Uh, all the Heismans run together at this point. Um yeah, you would you would think if they won the national title. Was it him or Mariota? Oh, that's a g- oh yeah. Or was Mariota with Winston? I don't know. They all they all run together. Look that up. Um what I'm getting at is this. Individually, Lamar Jackson. Yes, 2010. He won it in a landslide. Cam won it. Oh, yeah. 2010 would have been way before Mariota. Mariota would have been with Winston. Um, I mean, you're talking about unbelievable individual seasons from these guys in college. And Anthony Richardson's highlight this year was what? A run against LSU? And the jump fake pass. Like a, a, a nice performance against Utah. And it's weird, like, uh, when you watch the highlights that, like, NFL Network and ESPN play of him, you see him having issues completing the passes in the short to intermediate, but every pass that he completes that they show in these highlight packages is a pass 40 yards down the field. Yeah. yeah I... So it, it's... A bit of a, I don't think we can just make those comparisons and just act like they're the exact same. You know, college success to me matters in some level. It's a whole lot of projection with Richardson. The piece of clay is very rare, but boy, just saying he's Lamar Jackson or Cam Newton is such a discredit to what those two did playing college football. With the next three questions also pertaining to Anthony Richardson, I'd like to slide this in here real quick. Past couple of drafts where the Colts have been interested in quarterbacks, Last two, Jalen Hurts and Jalen uh, and Justin Fields. I think there was a lot of debate internally on Hurts, who who really liked him, who didn't like him. Obviously, they took Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor in that second round. Um, yeah, Fields is a guy that they liked, and you mentioned. I, I assume you bring that up because of the running element. Yes. Yeah, which is interesting because you know Ballard has always been one that's been quick to say. 
at some point you got to deliver from the pocket. You know, Michael Vick can't be Michael Vick at 33. Lamar Jackson can't be Lamar Jackson at 33. Shane Steichen, you know, shape, size, and styles. Mentioned it earlier. It's how you're wired. Boy, it's um, it's a hell of a debate, Levis and Richardson. Uh, Rodney says that you draft Anthony Richardson with the intention of sitting him this year, except for some designed plays, and let Shane and Minshew Gardner develop him. Physically, he's ready, but he only has 13 starts at Florida, and he's not ready to read NFL defenses or coverages and change protections. You dig? Do you think the Colts would consider this, or do you feel like if they draft him, they have to start him immediately? It's a terrific debate, Rodney. Um, You know, what does the guy need to develop? Does he need more practice reps? Does he need more meeting time? Or does he need physical reps? I've said it a thousand times. There's no position in sports that differs more from practice and playing than quarterback. Um, I am a believer that you need hardcore reps. Hardcore in-game reps. Like, that's where I... Now, again, you can show me examples, and Mahomes is the clear one of a guy that sat and then delivered in year two like like no other um 13 starts though is a far cry from even what mahomes had in college so i think you need isn't that a very similar number to what trey lance had in college yeah, over year i think the one a lot of people make is mitchell trubisky is the one that had a lot of limited playing time uh from a year standpoint so you know so many people are like yeah you sit him and he plays in practice you know if he is technically the backup which I don't know. Maybe you'd have Gardner start and Ellinger would 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 be the backup. I have no idea how you would do that. If he is the backup, the backup runs the scout team, so he's not even running your own playbook in practice. And again, practice in the NFL. I, I feel like, especially the later in the year that you get, it's not as intense. We're going for two and a half hours. I think a lot of people think it is. Yeah. Um. So that is something you have to factor in. I am of the belief you need the game reps, but I can hear people out and saying you need other. Uh, Zach has another question for you. He says, let's assume the Colts take Anthony Richardson, even if he's not expected to be ready day one. How do you think Shane Steichen handles the offensive installs? He says he wants to mold the offense around the quarterback, but Minshew and Richardson's strengths are vastly different. If Richardson is drafted to be the future, will the offense really be tailored toward Minshew's strengths or Richardson's? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's a good question. It, it you know delays things a bit. And again, I'm super curious how the spring will unfold of how much you do kind of cater your offense. I, I think there's a big section or there's a big playbook in general, and you obviously are focusing on more of a section depending on the skill set of Menchu versus you know who you would have as your starter or um, as your rookie. I think something that's really interesting that I was reading this week. Um, the Athletic wrote a really good piece diving pretty deep into the um, number one overall pick and Carolina trading up for that number one overall pick. It seemed like, based off the article, that Carolina was always the most active team. But there were two other teams that they mentioned in the story that had some interest, define the level of interest, um, in that number one pick. One is the Raiders. The Raiders had conversations, and so I bring that up, Eddie, to say, let's not forget about the Raiders trading up to number three. Now, maybe their interest was more Stroud and Young-based, and they feel like, hey, we're not going to uh, 
we're only going to do it if we can get up to one. You know, yeah. three is a lot different than, than one. So maybe, maybe not. Obviously, they've been rumored, I think, with Richardson and, and Levis as well. So I think that's a team to keep an eye on. They also, in the story, said that the Colts were involved, but the phrase in the story was they were only involved to a certain point. The timing just wasn't right for Indianapolis and some other clubs. That right there, Eddie, to me, is a bit of the concern that you had with this process. Carolina had urgency. They clearly had owner urgency. And they wanted to get this done before anyone else got their hands on it. And at times, and I think this has been a flaw of Chris Ballard, you you, you can't beat to the rhythm of your own drum. Mm -hmm. You can't be stubborn and say, this is the pace we're going to be at. And this is the pace I want to be at, and we're not deviating from that pace. There's times where you've got to deviate. You've got to be willing to, all right, it's not ideal, but you know what? We've got to take the risk. Um, it's kind of like, let's say you're an employee at a wherever you're at, and you get a new boss or a new ownership group or something, and you, you do things your way, and then they come in, and they're like, well, we're going to do it this way. Sure. Well, why are we doing it this way? This way is work because we've done it for you know however long we've done this, and, and then you go to that way and you're like, oh, this actually works out. And Chris Ballard just hasn't had that. Oh, it actually works out this way. Idea or aggressive move other than DeForest Buckner. And, and I guess my worry, Eddie, is this: Would you have ever gotten there in the process? You know, talked about it to lead off the podcast today. This is the arguably the most important week of the Colts offseason vetting all these QBs, getting one-on-one time. Eddie, what happens if they get to the end of the week and Shane Steichen and Chris Bauer on the flight back to Indy? Shane Steichen looks at him and goes, holy shit. C.J. Stroud is incredible. He is clearly the best quarterback in this draft class. There's really nothing you can do about it. And that is the concern of Carolina was willing to pay for the choice of the number one choice. Not necessarily that they thought on, whenever that trade became official, March 10th or whatever, that they thought that meant that there was a clear-cut quarterback. But they wanted to make sure that they got the first crack. If someone does separate themselves from this group, we want to be there. And my question would be, are the Colts going to regret that? Now again, Carolina had a really attractive trade package. The Colts would have had to maneuver kind of in different ways to get there. But I think that is a question you have to ask yourself of Carolina's willingness to take a risk and be aggressive. Will it pay off? And will the Colts regret it? Did you see yesterday that Daniel Jeremiah accidentally leaked who had the highest score on the S2 cognition test? Yeah, remind me again. Um, This test essentially measures how quick athletes process information. Last year, Brock Purdy had the highest score. Um, Some other notable elite scores, Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, Drew Brees, and Josh Allen. The quarterback who had the highest score this year. Is it Bryce Young? Yep. You know, he's my guy. I like him. I like him. The height? Nah. Just give him platforms. The weight? Yeah, the weight. The weight's probably more than the height. Yeah, weight spike. Uh, he's up next. Let's say we take Richardson at four this year during the draft. Knowing he's a developmental project, we wind up next year with a top two pick. Oh, my. With two generational-type talents available, what do the Colts do? Do they trade down and draft um, James Jr. to support him? I'm assuming he... Marvin. 
Yeah. Edger and Marvin. Yeah, Marvin. Right? Yeah. Although Edge has got some kids. That yeah. Play. Edge has got one that's going to college now, isn't he? Yeah, basketball, right? Jizzle yeah. James. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, draft a quarterback and have a contest. Oh, boy. Or something else. Just curious your thought on a possible scenario right. with Minshew at the helm. Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, evaluating him behind the scenes, Eddie, is going to be really, really a big part of under this hypothetical of what this season's about. Um, and again, it's a big reason why, you know, I'm hesitant to give up that 2024 pick because yep. there is that generational ability, not just, you know, with Caleb Williams, potentially a Drake May, a Marvin Harrison Jr. And we're not even there with other prospects that can emerge throughout this college football season this fall. So um, it, it's it's something you can't take off the table. You know, Chicago even had that sort of debate. Um, you know, obviously they didn't fall through on it. They're sticking with Fields, and again, these quarterbacks don't appear to be Caleb Williams, but it's a great, great question, and evaluating him behind the scenes, and that's why I just think game game reps are valuable, to try and get um, a great idea on what you have. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Who says that he's read that Peyton Manning is having sit-downs in film sessions with quarterback prospects? I know that's not uncommon, he says. How much of an influence would his opinion affect Jim Ursay's decision to turn in that card on April 27th? Yeah, I mean, for Ursay, I'd say perhaps a little. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say perhaps a little. I, I don't want to act like it's like an overwhelming amount of difference. You know, it does fascinate me a little bit to imagine the pie, Eddie. You got three pieces of the pie. Steichen, Ballard, Ursay. What's the decision? How much does each person get on this? Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it needs to be, you know, hell, I, to me, it just needs to be Ballard and Steichen making the call, maybe give Ursay 5% of it. And I think it needs to be closer to 50-50 than Ballard probably w- would want it to be. I think Steichen needs to have a whole lot of say in this. Uh, a, because I respect his offensive quarterback mind and B, he's the head coach and the one that's going to be closely working with this player yep. for his entire tenure. Um, you know, going back to the Ballard risk taking, uh, I was talking with someone that is in the organization and, and has disagreed with Ballard's philosophy um, earlier this week. And the phrase was, you know, I, I swear he never wants to take a chance. And at times, it's just like, eventually you got to do it. Job security. I, I, yes, but it's it's when you take that job, you take that job to win a Super Bowl, not to keep your, keep your job. Yeah. And I know it's easier said than done when you're not in that position, but you take it to take a big swing because you got to do that in order to try and get your franchise to that level. And it hasn't been done. Last Twitter question comes from Travis. His question is, how is Lamar acquisition any different than a potential Shaquille Leonard trade? They each have more value to their present organization than to any other team, especially with their injuries. We would have to want Lamar more than his own team as we have to pay him more than the Ravens and then give up draft picks. 
and yet Ravens built roster and playbook around him. If they're letting him walk, then that should give us a pause. They know something we don't or think his play is unsustainable. Some good points Travis brings up there late. You know, Chris Bowers has made it very clear throughout his tenure, if I'm going to make a significant roster acquisition, especially via trade or a big free agent contract, that guy has got to check every box on the field and off the field. And it just seems like there's some questions with Lamar there off the field-wise. Now, as far as Leonard versus Jackson, I don't think the injuries necessarily are comparable at all. Um the biggest thing for me with quarterback and Lamar is just sustaining that shelf life. Sustaining that. Um, but yeah, going back to the Baltimore thing, I mean, you know, I, I, I said this, I went on Baltimore radio earlier in the week, Eddie, and I go, I don't see the Colts making a serious move for Lamar Jackson unless the demands change. And that is a contractual demand on Lamar's part, and that is a compensation demand on Baltimore's part. Having said that, I I guess I said that, and they countered with, well, if the Colts are going to make demand changes, then Baltimore's just going to match. So, you know, that's where you kind of run run into things on the Lamar front. I, I think I've made it clear. I think last week's podcast focused on that, the whole Lamar stance of just style, um, injury compensation, sustaining that for all those reasons, I'd be sitting it out. I think a, a lot of Lamar's frustrations is the franchise itself and how they've supported him be- or lack of support because they had Hollywood Brown. That's the biggest receiver that he's had. And then they traded him away because he didn't like Greg Roman and that offensive system that they had with Greg Roman. So I think a lot of the problems that stem from Lamar come from the system that he's in. I think he's a way better quarterback than what he's shown, uh, but that's just my opinion. Eddie, I refuse to pick one of the big three, Roy McIlroy, John Rahm, and Scotty Scheffler. That's probably dumb of me, but I do not want to go with one of the three favorites. Uh, I will let you lead off for your master's pick. Oh, you're going to let the guy who doesn't really watch golf uh-huh. pick first? Yeah, uh-huh. All right. Um, I'm not throwing the dart on Tiger. I'm not gonna. Ah, oh, boo! I'm not gonna do that. That's where my heart is. Um, let's go with the guy who's fourth at plus seventeen hundred. I'll take Jordan Spieth. All right, always a good bet on that golf course. I like it. Um, I will go with. I've got two names. Um, I will go with Jason Day, a healthy Jason Day. Ooh, plus twenty eight hundred there. That's who I like. Juicy. And I don't love that he's paired with Tiger in the opening two rounds, but I do think at some point you're going to see a breakthrough from Victor Hovland. Um, not had great major success. Decent at the Masters, nothing crazy. Those are the two. Slay a little off the radar. You get some pretty good money, as you pointed out, for those two. Colin Morikawa stuck out to me a little bit, too, because I know he's played well at Augusta National the last couple Masters, but he just, on that final day, he's kind of choked it away. And rain in the forecast, so guys that hit the ball long would be wise. That is one worry I would have with Spieth. It, I agree. It's super rainy. Spieth, to me, is a fiery hard golf course. That is when he is at his best. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. Stay safe. Some ugly weather in the forecast. And we'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner.